You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, the Word of God this morning. Um, So good to be with you as always to get into the Word and fellowship and worship our God together. Um, If you've been with us, you know we've been in the book of Exodus, and uh, it's been good, rich, vivid story of God redeeming his people out of slavery, uh, and how it ties into how God also has redeemed us out of our sin um, and brought us into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so as much as it's Israel's story, it looks forward to the cross, to our story. So why don't you guys turn with me to the book of Exodus this morning? Exodus chapter 9 through the end of chapter 10 will be our text today, reading out of the NIV. And uh, today, like kind of most weeks, we're going to be reading a larger portion of text, about two chapters. And so I know that our current attention span in our world is not long, but um, hopefully this will stretch us a bit in a good way to read the Word of God. I want to invite up a dear sister and one of our amazing kids' teachers Kayla, where are you at? Come on up. She's going to read the Word of God for us this morning to get us started. You get the mic. There you go. You can stand wherever you want. Exodus 9, 8 through chapter 10, verse 29. Can you hear me? Oh, there it goes. Okay. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. Excuse me, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. This time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals, and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. 
The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his, his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you re refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will, cover the <clears throat> they will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from this day, they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But just, oh wait, hold on. Am I in the right place? I am. Sorry. Uh, okay. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to the Pharaoh. Wait. Am I? Okay, hold on. Eight. Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Moses answered, we will go with your young and and old, with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord will be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that, that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to make this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they had lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let him them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. 
Just as you say, Moses replied, and I will never appear before you again. Thanks, Kayla. Thanks, Kayla. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and read your word. And what we just read, God, we receive it as God-breathed and God-inspired. And we can put ourselves under it as our authority of our life. And we, we ask, God, that our hearts would be open and willing to receive what your word has for us today. God, as we look on how you moved Thousands of years ago in a different context, in a different culture. Thank you, God, that this same word is for us. That you're going to confront things in our own hearts. And God, I pray that your loving kindness would be the thing that draws us near to you. That as we're convicted, as we're confronted with things that might be hindering us from fully worshiping you that we would turn, that we would surrender, that we would come under your word's authority because it's your word, God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God that holds the heavens in the span of his hand that created everything and who is our Lord and Savior. So God, have your way with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the plagues once again, and what's been happening, if you've been with us, is Pharaoh who you heard a lot about, the king of Egypt, his heart was hard. And he was not open to this idea at all of letting the children of Israel go. And multiple times now, Moses and Aaron have come before him in many different ways, and they've asked, they petitioned Pharaoh on behalf of God to let these people go, to let his people go. And there's been quite a bit of back and forth with God and Moses and Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. And things have not gotten better. They've gotten worse, actually. Pharaoh has done the opposite. He's made the labor of these Israelites even harder. He's imposed stricter labor upon an already enslaved people. And for centuries, this, this has been going on for by the time that Israel leaves Egypt, it'll be exactly 430 years that the Israelites have been in slavery under the, 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 the rule of the Egyptians. Four centuries have gone on since Joseph and, his, and the Israelites, his family, at the end of Genesis, made their way and started life in Egypt. And at that time, 400 years prior to our text today, there was 70 of them. This is a large extended family. This is by no means a nation or a whole people group. But they had stuck with what God told them to do, um, be fruitful and multiply. And man, the, the Israelites have done that. What we'll read in a few chapters is that when they finally do leave Egypt, there's 600,000 men, not counting women and children. And so historians would say about two, two and a half million Israelites uh, is who is, is exiting Egypt. And so quite a lot has happened in these 400 years. But can you imagine that? This is a whole people group. This is a whole nation being oppressed by a totalitarian dictatorship. And what's been happening is there's been nationwide genocide by, by Pharaoh. The injustice is as real as it gets. This is not a made-up story. This is a historical account of a people group enslaved by Pharaoh. What God did, though, previously in Genesis chapter 12 was he told a man named Abraham. And he made a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, that through Abraham's offspring, the Israelites, these people, would one day become a great nation. And through this great nation, the rest of of the world would come to know Yahweh, would come to know God, would come to see God and who he was as Lord and God of all creation, maker of heaven and earth. But where we pick up in the story, there's a, there's a lot of people, but they're not a nation. They're actually a people without a nation, enslaved, and the scene is bleak. 
We pick up in the book of Exodus here. The scene is very bleak when it comes to God's people. And in a lot of ways, they may have been questioning and wondering, what happened with Abraham? What happened with his covenant? What happened with this thing that he told our father Abraham? It's not happening at all. But what happens is, is that God hears the cries of the Israelites. He hears their groaning. People have been crying out, God, you know, save us. We're in this horrible enslaved generation amongst the Israelites. And what we looked at last week was the first five plagues. These, these acts of justice and judgment that God is placing upon Egypt coming against the injustice that's happening. And today what we're going to do is look at uh, plague six through nine. Next week we'll get to plague number 10 along with the Passover. But theme-wise, it'll be much like last week and a continuation of, of really digging in a little bit, looking into these plagues, the context, the significance what they meant, why God did what he did then, and how it applies to us now. But to remind us, or maybe to codify a little bit more, the reason why God inflicted such justice and judgment upon Israel, uh, I want to give us kind of three reasons to work with why God did the plagues. Why, why, did he, why did he do this? Number one, if you're taking notes, is to bring justice. I just kind of painted you the picture why there was injustice, but the plagues was God bringing justice upon injustice done by Pharaoh to the children of Israel. Number two, which we'll unpack these a little bit more in a second. Number two, God's reason for bringing these plagues upon Egypt was also to confront idolatry. It was to confront the false gods, the false idols and the false ways of living that the Egyptians and the Israelites alike were worshiping, were putting their hope in and their trust in. Talked about that a bit last week. And number three was for future generations to remember. This was, this was to show by the mighty hand of God who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob truly was so that Israel could vividly remember and recall the way in which God saved them. So number one, to bring justice. To bring justice. If you've been with us, you'll be reminded of in chapter one, at least that day when we studied it about two months ago now, we talked all about God's justice and how he hates any kind of injustice against any type of human flourishing. Like God cannot allow injustice against any type of human flourishing. If you, if you didn't listen to that, you should go back and listen to a podcast of that. Can't go into all of it right now. But injustice against humans, whether that's slavery or racism or abuse of power, whatever it is going on in our world even today, God is against it. Because it goes against creation and how he created humans to be and to flourish. But also it's against his own nature to see this injustice in the world. And so what God is doing in these plagues, number one, is he's coming against the injustice that's taking place against a certain people group. And again, we'll see this uh, more of God's character next week when he brings justice as we look at the 10th plague and the Passover. But each of these plagues, as strange as they are, as weird as they are, right, locusts and frogs and turning the Nile into blood and hailstorms, all of them, the interaction is this larger story of how God is dealing with Pharaoh and it's an example or it's a window into God's heart towards injustice in the world. And so there's a lot that we can learn and take away from that. But also what God is doing in these plagues and why he's doing what he's doing is he's confronting idolatry. And last week we saw that there were actually Egyptian gods that were attached or that God was confronting in almost every plague. If you remember last week, um, one of them, one god, the god of the Nile, uh, was named Happy, 
This was the god Happy that the Egyptians worshipped um, so that the Nile would be abundant and the floodwaters would come because we learned that as the Nile goes, Egypt went. It was crucial to their success as an empire. And so when God turned the water in the Nile red or to blood, he was confronting the god Happy. He, he was he was he was messing with, he was exposing the fact that they were putting their hope and trust in a false god and not the god of all creation. We also looked at Heket, which was the god of frogs. Uh, This was the frog goddess. And the reason why God sent frogs to Egypt was that the frog goddess was a goddess that they worshipped for abundance and success. And God confronted their false foundation and ideology and the trust that they were putting into And then we saw the god Hathor, which is the god of cattle, and uh, he came against all the livestock because he was confronting their hope and their trust that they had put in something else other than him. And at that time, what he was doing is God was coming against the, the false gods that Egypt was worshiping, that they were trying to put their security, stability, abundance, or prosperity in. God was confronting head-on the counterfeit gods of the day that Egypt was worshiping. And if you remember, there was 114 different gods at the time that they would worship for different things. We also see that the reason, we're going to see more of that today, but the reason why God sent these plagues was to show God's character as a way of reminder Again, he didn't have to do it like this. He could have just done something different with Pharaoh. He didn't have to, like, affect the entire nation of Egypt. It was a very public display. It was not hidden. It was for all to see. It wasn't just for Pharaoh. It wasn't just for Egypt. But it was for Israel, young and old, to see. So that an entire nation, right, two and a half million people could could have eyewitness accounts to the mighty hand of God and how he, how he saved them. There was no coincidence. This isn't like God's like, oh, I'll just try this and see what happens. The reason why he did what he did was so that the entire nation could have a story to pass on. And we see that, that, that in Exodus 10, our text this morning, it was to give a testimony to the children of Israel for future generations. This wasn't just for a momentary uh, act of justice. It wasn't just only for confronting the gods of their day, but it was this long, enduring story that was to be told generation after generation. And so today, we're going to quickly walk through and pull out some potent ideas from the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth plague that we just read. See the context, the significance of each one for Israel and for us. But as a way of reminder, if you were here last week, if you weren't, this is new to you. But the theme of each plague last week, as weird as they were, flog, uh, flogs, frogs and gnats and flies and the killing of livestock, as weird as they were, we realize that not only did they confront Egypt's false gods, but they also confronted our own counterfeit gods or idols that we raise up and trust in when we should put our trust in God and God alone. There's a quote by Tim Keller from his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you haven't read that book or you don't know what I'm talking about, you should. It's short, easy read, but so good. Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. This is what he, he, he describes a, a counterfeit god or a false god in our day as. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to, to, to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should, and should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol isn't just, you know, a carved deity or some god of the sky like Egypt. But an idol can be anything in our life that, that 
that we can serve as a counterfeit God. Anything in life can serve as an idol, even or especially the very best things in life. And that's where it gets tricky. We can make really good things God when they're not supposed to be. Really wonderful gifts that God gives us, we all of a sudden get warped in our perception and we make that good thing that even God gives us an idol. That's where it gets tricky. That's why, why it's so complicated sometimes in our heart. And so I will ask that the question that we all ask as we walk through these is what are our gods of today that we're exalting, that we're worshiping or trusting in instead of the one true living God? What are those things? And the plagues will help us to expose and confront some possible idols, idols excuse me, in our lives. So number six, the plague of boils. See this, right? Chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. This is brutal. This is a brutal plague. This is affecting every piece of skin that everyone has. And the idea here behind this ancient Hebrew word for boil is actually to burn. It's literally the idea of having a swelling, painful skin inflammation everywhere. This is a brutal one. And these magicians, right, these, these, these smart, the smartest, most capable magicians at the time, this is actually like the engineers and the scientists, but also those that were magicians and messed around with all kinds of different things, they, they always kept trying to, you know, make the plague, or Pharaoh would say, hey, can you help? A long time ago, they weren't able to. But in this case, even these guys were not even able to stand in the presence of such power. This plague was debilitating. It got all of Egypt's attention, and nothing that they could do could stop it. And this plague was actually probably directed towards the Egyptian god, Imhotep. So I have a picture of Imhotep. Uh, this is the interesting about Think about Imhotep, though. Imhotep was different. He was actually a real person. This is a real guy that, that, that lived during that time, and he was considered by some to be the earliest known architect and engineer in, and physician in early history. Actually designed the first ever pyramid. Even, even history today said Imhotep is the one that did this. And he was the only one of only a few commoners ever to be accorded divine status after death. Even 2,000 years after his death, Imhotep's status was raised to that of the deity of medicine and healing. So it's pretty significant that God all of a sudden sends a disease of boils upon all the people, and none of them could do anything about it, including Imhotep. And at that time, the, the magicians or the physicians that were there were supposed to be the closest to Imhotep, and even them, they were stricken with this plague. The ones that should have the most power to heal sickness and heal disease were totally and completely taken out. And their hope was lost, right? They, if they were sick, if they needed healing, they would sacrifice or worship Imhotep. That was the god of their time. And ancient Egypt was no different than us today or anyone. Health is what they longed for. They would do anything for it. They would worship this man that might possibly give them longer health for it. Right? Movies and books and history after history would tell us that every civilization is looking for, right, the fountain of youth. How do we live longer? How do we live forever? Sayings we go by. You know, health is wealth. And even us, when our health fails, so many times, so does our happiness. We're, we're wrapped up in it. There's even a false doctrine, the health, health wealth gospel. That's why it's so damaging. Oh, you're blessed if you have good health. If you don't have good health, you're doing something wrong. You're not blessed. It's not even in the Bible. Bible never says that. It doesn't promise that. Right? The, the, the health, wealth gospel would say, well, your faith is weak. If you're, not, if, you're not, 
in good health and long-lasting health, if something happens to you, your faith is weak and you're not blessed. The Bible doesn't say that, nor does it promise perfect physical health and a long life ever. It's not in there. What Jesus does say, what the Word of God does say, is that I'll give you life and that abundant and eternal life. But these bodies, here and now, they're decaying. They're not going to last forever. One day when we see Jesus, glorify bodies. All brand new. Good to go. But here and now, that is not what we're supposed to seek after. It's not supposed to be our God, so to speak, or our everything. And don't get me wrong, when, when health complications, when yourself or, or, or people in your life, when something happens, don't get me wrong, this can be the hardest thing that we deal with. But we shouldn't make it our God. We shouldn't make it our everything. Our lives, despite our health, we should be able to experience God and glorify God because God is near to us and God is the same despite our health. Right? As Christians, we're supposed to have a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. We're actually supposed to go into this life going, my body's going to fail. It's just a matter of when and how. But so much over the years of every single people in societies, how can I live longer? How can I sustain? And again, it's not, it's not bad. It's good to be good stewards of your body and, and live healthy. But we are wrapped up with health even to this day so much more. I just saw this video last night that there's so many people working on trying to extend lifespans even by like 20, 25, they're thinking, we can extend life to 145 years old, the oldest person. All these science and all these genes and all these things happening and all this neuroscience and we'll cryo-freeze your head and if we come up with it, we'll wake you up for $36,000, we're good. And don't get me wrong. Like, cool. Cool. But again, you're, they're missing the point. They're trying to hold on to health so much, it's their God. And the question, or I mean, this is confronting Egypt right now with health, but we have to ask ourselves, is our health our God? Is that what we hold on to? And are we crushed when it fails? Because ultimately, we should know, okay, our God is bigger than our health. We're not supposed to have an, an earthly mentality. We're supposed to have an eternal perspective. The Bible says your life is just a vapor. It's a mist. So we're not, we're not supposed to make it our God. We're not supposed to make it our everything. We're supposed to make our God our everything, and then despite what happens to our body, it's okay. Because God, it's not about that. That's not the most important thing. You're the most important thing. That's what God is coming to surface with the Egyptians, and he's bringing to pass for us too. And then what happens is this Pharaoh doesn't receive that, that doesn't get him to let the people of Israel go. And so the plagues continue. The plague of hail. Right? And this is a crazy storm. It literally says it's the worst storm that Egypt has ever seen. Uh, we had a little taste of that this week. I don't know where you guys were out on the island, but it was thunder, lightning, a lot of rain. There's nothing compared to what was happening here. This is the brutal storm for Egypt. And at that time, rainfall would come so occasionally in Upper Egypt, right, it's like the desert, that the prediction of a severe hailstorm accompanied by a violent, like, electrical storm must have been greeted with skepticism. Like, you're like, really, hail in the desert? That's going to happen. Don't believe it? Yeah, right. But for them, this perhaps was most, the most frightening plague thus far because they had never seen anything like it. The Egyptians must have believed that the wrath of God was like being poured out on them from heaven in severity. It must have been. And in verse 14 of chapter 9, God says, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and your servants and your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Once again, God is trying to distinguish himself from the other 114 gods at the time. He's doing it specifically. He's doing it broadly. And in this bold declaration through this plague, 
God told Pharaoh through Moses that his resistance was being used for God's glory. Like, I'm getting glory. I'm going to show you, even through it's my mighty hand, I'm going to have to do it harshly because you're not getting it. But I am God. I'm creator God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are worshiping false gods and false deities that aren't going to satisfy, that are leading you astray, that are taking you down a road of no return. And for Pharaoh, he was deceived. He was trusting in false deities and false gods. He was trusting in his own kingdom. He wasn't trusting God. And we see here even that God gives mercy to him. Like God gives him a way out. Like Pharaoh, you don't have to experience my judgment. You do not have to experience my justice right now. And I'm giving you a choice. And God does. Every single time God gives Pharaoh a way out. Right? Chapter 9, verses 19 through 21, the plague here. It says, give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter. Because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field. And they will die. So God's like, hey, there's a hailstorm coming. Get everybody inside. Pretty logical. Like, if you want to save yourself and your livestock, put them inside. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the Lord. So look at There's officials of Pharaoh that actually believed what God was saying. And they hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Look at that. God had given them a way out. He had clearly said, trust in me. This is coming. But they didn't. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what are we building? Are we building our own kingdom? Or do we desire to follow God? Are we listening to God? Are we obeying or are we just doing our own thing? Because that is, that is exactly what's happening here. Different context for sure. But God through his word is speaking. Right? This is the truth of who God is and what he has for us. And we all have a choice. Like we all have a choice just like Pharaoh did. Hey, here's my love. Here's my mercy. Here's my grace for you. Take it. But I love you, and I, and I love, but, but I'm a just God too. So, so I got to deal with that. I got to be just. I can't just let you off. We're going to talk about that a lot next week, God's mercy and his love and his justice. But God gives us as well a ton of grace. As much as we think the plagues are like, God, how could you do this to, Israel, to Egypt? Every single time God is saying, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this, but I have to end this injustice. But I don't have to hurt you. I don't have to bring my judgment upon you. I'm giving you a way out. And the same is true for us. As far as we think we are from God, you are not too far gone. You may think that you've messed stuff up so bad in your life. Right? It's hard to even be in church. Can't even believe I'm here. This is crazy. I don't fit in here. Like, you can't recover from what you've done. I'll, I'll be honest, there's no more rebellion and wayward living than in Egypt at this time. You haven't done anything worse than this. You, ha you haven't worshipped any more false gods than they have. You haven't lived more wayward than they have. And in the same way that God is offering mercy to Pharaoh and to this nation, and he's giving him a choice to turn for him, he's giving us that same choice. Despite where our, our attention or our heart or even our worship is right now. Like for Pharaoh, he was like literally worshiping other gods. He wasn't just disobeying God. He was actually saying, God, I don't believe you. And I'm going to fill my life and my heart with all these other things that are opposing you. God, send, God extends the same grace through his son. This is what the cross is to us. It's God's way of saying, I love you. What you're doing, yeah, you're enemies to me right now. You're literally living in opposition. You're worshiping other things. But I love you, and I want to save you, and I want to be with you, and I want to rescue you. And so I'm going to send my son to die a brutal death on your behalf. This is 
is the gospel. This is grace. And once again, this is what we see God doing. His heart. I don't want to do this to you. I don't want to do this to you. Come, repent, turn to me, obey me. But what Pharaoh does is he doesn't. He doesn't. And then what God does is you send the locusts. You still with me? Okay. I'm, almost, I'm getting there, guys. I'm getting there. The plague of locusts. And there were so many locusts that happened that the land looked dark. Okay, if you're not a bug person, think about that. Like, I don't know if who's like a bug person in here. Like, yeah, I love all the cockroaches in my house. Yeah. I don't know who that is, but you're kind of weird if that's you. But okay. The only... I've never had such things happen to me, right? There's locusts that cover everything. There's so many creepy crawly things that it's dark. But I would say the most bugs I've seen at one time is recently my daughter at school, she was in kindergarten. She had a project. Hey, get like a little mason jar and fill it up with some bugs. Bring it to school. We'll look at your bugs, see what they are. So I'm like, okay, like we got to do this by tomorrow. We got to find some bugs. So... Mm, I was like, okay, you know where I think there's some bugs? We live in Kaneohe. So, like, between the, the water level and the heat, like, things grow under things. I know. So we have, like, a deck box that we keep out in the yard that has all the toys in. It's on grass and dirt. I'm like, if I move that deck box right now, I know I'm going to find the world of bugs. So it just happens. We move the deck box, and it's, like, way too much, though. Like, you're just like, oh, my. Like, throw the ball. Like, Eva, run. Let's get out of here. Um, we actually didn't get any bugs. We had to go find, we had to, there's too many. There's too many bugs. Just think of under my deck box, all over, all your stuff, so dark that it's dark. This is what's happening. This is unbelievable, right? This is a part of how God is, is bringing forth his justice, that he's freeing his people. But why he's also making it so vivid and why it's like tugging at every sense. Like, right, if the bugs were, if this is what's happening, you wouldn't forget something like that. And that is exactly why he's doing what he's doing, because it's for the retelling and the remembrance of future generations. Specifically, this plague, it makes a big, it makes a big point in that the hearing of this is you're supposed to tell your, your son is supposed to tell your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt. And again, God's work was not only for the sake of Moses and Pharaoh or even that generation, but it was to encourage the generations to come that God was mighty and he cared about them and he was powerful and he was merciful and he did something about the injustice of the world. And in the midst of this, God says to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And I think that's a really potent question. Like God still is like, how much are you going to deal with this? How much are you going to run from me? God is trying to get to the heart of the matter here. God warned Pharaoh. To be humble himself or the worst plagues of locusts he'd ever seen would come upon Egypt. And pride was at the heart of Pharaoh's problem here. He simply did not want to give in to God. And guys, I don't know if you picked up, but that is maybe the most important question that God would ask to anyone. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And I know that's a lot of our testimonies. Right? We maybe knew, we were wrecking our life, we were running, our, doing our own thing. Partying, selfish, just, just doing whatever. Building our own kingdom, doing whatever we wanted. And there was a moment that God said, when are you going to stop? When are you going to humble yourself and realize you're wrecking your life? You're ruining your life. And there is a time for us all. That we have to make that, we have to answer that question. Like, we got to come to terms with that. And maybe you're in here today, and you're feeling God, like, speak and tug at your heart. And maybe you've, you've been here time and time again. And what I would say is that now is the time. Stop running. Like, stop running. God of the universe that loves you, sent his son to die for you, is saying, how long? 
how long is it going to take for you to just receive me? To you to give up? And some of you, if not all of us, understand what it's like to just be running from the Lord. And we know that we shouldn't. And we know we're, we're wayward and we know we're messing things up. And God just is like a father saying, come, come back to me. How long, how long are you going to fight this? How long are you going to do this to yourself? I know it's best. But Pharaoh doesn't. Unfortunately, he doesn't. And this ninth plague here, the last one we're going to talk about today, is the plague of darkness. And there's this eerie darkness that comes over all of Egypt. And, you know, this isn't, you know, Egypt, pretty close to the equator. This isn't something they deal with. It's not Alaska. This is not the Arctic Circle. Like, they've never experienced something like this before. And what's crazy is all the children of Israel, though, it's really cool, actually, all had light still in their dwellings, but nobody else did. And nobody really knows why or how that happened. You know, we don't know if that's because God spared them the plague or because God granted them, like, his unique presence, like, as a supernatural light. But somehow, children of Israel, God's own people, had light in their homes, but no one else did. And what this is doing this is actually a dramatic show of greatness over the prominent God of Ra. The God Ra, thought to be the sun god at the time in Egypt. A lot of us might have heard. I have a picture. Um, this is the, the God of the sun, of Ra. And obviously we all know the importance of the sun. But specifically, this ancient Egyptian deity was believed to rule all the created world. The sky, the earth, and the underworld, and specifically, darkness and light. All forms of life were believed to have been created by Ra, and the Egyptians worship Ra more than any other god in, in, in all the land. And what's crazy is God was coming against Ra in all the senses. He turned off the sun. All that, God, all that Ra was giving them was completely shut out in a moment. And it's very significant that God chose to do this in his last plague prior to the 10th one. Because it tugged at creation. It tugged at life itself. Ra, for Egyptians, was the core of all existence. Birth and afterlife. It's very potent that God said, no, no, I control those things. I control the light and the darkness. I control life and the afterlife. And Pharaoh here, unfortunately, you would hope that by this time he would give up. But we end our section today, and Pharaoh, he's done talking. Unfortunately, he said, I don't want to see you again, Moses, and if I see you again, you're dead. Unfortunately, this sealed Pharaoh's fate. He was so hardened and against God that he fully rejected the truth of who God was. His own will, his own way. This was his final answer. Pharaoh, is this your final answer? This is his final answer. I reject God. This is a mark in the sand. We'll get to it next week. But this, Pharaoh had chosen his own way, his own kingdom, his own strength. He's choosing to trust in this, the counterfeit gods of the time rather than the true living God. Here's where I'll bring it home and we'll worship. For the Egyptians... It was deities. It was carved idols. It was humans acting as gods. But for us, like we discussed last week, what are our gods? What controls us? What are we worshiping? Because here's the deal. Whatever controls us is our Lord. Whether it's money or acceptance or power or the job, if if. if that's controlling us, that's our Lord, right? The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. See, we don't control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. That's what an idol does. The thing is, though, the only way to free ourselves from the destructive influence of a counterfeit god or gods is to turn back to the the one true living God, right? He's the only one that we can, that, that, that if you find him, he can truly fulfill you. 
And if you fail him, he can truly forgive you. He's the only one. He's the only one that will do that for us. He's the only one that will fully satisfy us. We weren't designed to be led by anything else other than our God. We weren't designed to have anything else be the Lord of our life. And so the question that we have to ask as we go into this time of worship is, will we surrender? Will we give up or will we be like Pharaoh that says, nope, my way is better than your way? Nope, I can't give that up. That's everything to me. If you think that, that's a false god. That's a counterfeit. That's an idol. If you, if you worshipped actually like a real idol, like a carved idol, what I would tell you right now is to come up and break it or burn it before the presence of God if you want to give up an idol. Like, right, if you, if you worship a false god, it's denouncing that false god. And if you, you did have a carved idol that you worshipped, I would say it's time to break it or burn it. That, that's what it would mean. But in our own lives, again, it maybe is something good that we've exalted to the place of God. Or it could be something bad. But we can't break it or burn it in the same way that maybe a carved deity we think of. What comes down to is it comes down to an act of surrender. It comes down to us confessing, God, you haven't been my God. I've been, I've been swayed and directed. This has been my God. I want to surrender that to you. I want to confess that I've been living outside of your design for me. Would you forgive me? It's repentance. It's saying, God, I'm sorry. I want to live for you. I don't want to live for these other things. And so why we do what we do is now pray and we sing a few more songs of worship. And this is our time of response. This is the time where we come before, after we've heard this, we come before the feet of Jesus or the prayer team or the person next to you and say, I want God. I want to give these things up because they're false idols. They're false things. They're false things that I've been worshiping in place of God. So let me pray and then we'll do that. We'll come before the feet of Jesus. God, thank you for this time. Thank you that your word, by, your, by the power of your spirit, exposes the things that hinder us from getting you. And God, thank you that what you've wanted from the beginning is you want to be with us so that we could experience your love. You do this. You convict us. You expose things because you love us. And God, I pray that your loving kindness would lead us to repentance today. It would lead us to coming before your feet and saying, God, I want to give these things up. They're getting in the way. I'm making them everything, and they're not. God, thank you that it's not a secret prayer or a way we say it, but it's just a humble heart. God, I need you. I want you. I want to walk with you now. So God, would you do that in our time together? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.